Paxton Quigley is rolling out the green carpet, talking to the creme de la creme of innovators and influencers who are shaping the world of cannabis and culture. Welcome to High Society with Paxton Quigley. Hello and welcome to High Society with Paxton Quigley. And we are going high again. We're going back into outer space. Folks, uh, a recent Ipsos poll revealed revealed that six in 10 Americans believe there is life on other planets. And nearly 45% agree that UFOs exist and have visited the Earth. Now, what makes it even more interesting is Elon Musk says he plans to send one million people to Mars by 2050 by launching three Starship rockets every day. And I quote what he says, I'll create a lot of jobs on the red planet. You know, I wonder what kind of jobs he's thinking about. But today, we're going to focus on our own big moon. And with us now is Rob Shelsky. He's a longtime investigator of UFOs and has written 70 books. Among his most popular books is one titled, For the Moon is Hollow, An Alien Aliens with Sky. Now, Shelsky is a member of MUFON, which is spelled M as in Mary, U, F as in Frank, O, N. And that stands for the Mutual UFO Network. And this network is a US-based nonprofit. It's made up of civilian volunteers who study UFO sightings. Uh, The group was founded 51 years ago and MULFON is one of the oldest and largest organizations of its kind. And it has more than 4,000 members worldwide and in more than 43 countries, including all 50 U.S. states. So I'd like to introduce Rob Shelsky. Rob, welcome to High Society with Paxton Quigley. Hi there, and good to be here. And by the way, I do have to ask one question. The name of your show, High Society, why do you call it that? Uh, Because we do a lot of stuff on, uh, I shouldn't say stuff, a lot of interviews about cannabis. Ah. And also, and we also try to be very High class. How about that? (laughs) There you go. Quite the combination, huh? (laughs) Right. (laughs) I'm glad you asked because other people have said, hi, society, and you're you're talking about UFOs. Well, you know, uh, UFOs are high in the sky. So so that works, too. Uh, Rob, there there are many people throughout the world who, who obviously believe in the presence of UFOs. And it's, it's not a stretch to say that you are one of the world's experts on this subject. And your book, For the Moon is Hollow and Aliens Rule the Sky, certainly confirms that for me. So I've got lots of questions to ask you, and uh, I hope you're prepared. I'm sure you are. In your book, you contend that our moon may not be solid. You say it might be hollow or have large caverns inside it. Can you tell us what makes you believe that or say that? Well, it started when I was at another radio show, Coast to Coast, um, and they asked me if I, what I thought about the hollow moon theory, and I laughed it off. I said, <laughs> it's ridiculous. The moon's there. It has uh, uh, an effect on the Earth, on the tides. It's, it's real. It's not hollow. And then I was a little interested in why they would even ask that, so I started... Um, 
researching it and delving further into it. And it was a slow process, but there is so much odd about our moon that it could well be hollow or at least have very large hollow spaces within it. The evidence, if not a smoking gun, is certainly um, mounting in that favor. Famous scientists uh, in NASA especially have even said that they feared the moon might be hollow. One uh, astronomer for NASA actually said it's easier to explain the non-existence of our moon than to explain its existence. And there's a lot of other things wrong with the moon. Its density is too low. If it came from material made from the Earth's mantle, it should have about the same density. It doesn't. Its density is so light that if it were any lighter, the moon would float in water. Now, there's a problem here because the apparent size of our moon has been well measured, and yet we cannot understand why it isn't as dense as the Earth is when the rocks that were found on the moon did seem to be of the same density. But overall, the moon is missing mass. So the question is, where is this missing mass? And apparently, it might be in the interior. Then, too, when the moon is struck, it rings like a bell, not just for a few minutes, but sometimes for up to several hours, as one NASA scientist put it, almost as if it were hollow. So this just goes on and on, and there's all sorts of anomalies on the surface of the moon that also lend itself to this idea. Uh, big craters are shallow, small craters are deep, as if there were an inner shell that protects meteors from entering too far without making them bounce back out, sort of. The uh, materials on the moon's surface are in the wrong order, with the densest layer on top and the second and third layer being the least dense. That's contrary to everything we know. You put a bunch of dirt in a glass of water, shake it up, and then let it settle out, and it will fall into layers with the densest always being at the bottom. So how do we explain that? There are materials on the moon that just don't seem to belong there. Helium-3 is plentiful on the moon. It's very rare on Earth. The um, titanium is in the moon's crust. We don't know how that got there. Neptunium-237 is also on the moon. Now, that has a half-life of only two and a half million years, approximately. So all the uh, neptunium on the moon should have long since uh, degraded to other types of elements, as it has done here on Earth. So how do we explain this odd element on the moon that shouldn't even be there? The um, symptoms of this problem of the moon just go on and on. Its orbit, the size of it compared to the Earth, the fact that it's in just the perfect place for eclipses and the solar invernal equinoxes that we have, uh, optumnal invernal equinoxes, I should say. But um, and, and, and the uh, idea that these large, dark areas on the moon that face the Earth, they're called mares or maria, and uh, the ancients referred to them as sea. Maria is Latin for seas. But uh, they're not. The large areas of um, apparently lava basalt The other side of the moon doesn't have any, just the side facing the Earth. The other side of the moon has far more craters. The near side has less. There are craters on the moon that are behaving oddly. I mean, I can go on and on, but I'll give you a a break here and let you say something. Yeah. Well, um, you you also, you know, say that the moon may have been placed where it is by, by aliens who may have been inhabited or are still there right now. Uh, can you elaborate about that? I mean, when I read that in your book, I was saying, wow, this is really, I, I didn't know whether to say astounding or scary. Please, please elaborate on that. Sure. Well, first of all, the moon's orbit is too circular. 
only Venus has a slightly more circular orbit than the moon and maybe one other uh, one other uh, uh, body in our solar system. So it's very odd that way. It should be elliptical and it's not. It's really almost perfectly circular. Secondly, the position of the or, uh, orbit is strange. We don't know how we got the moon. There are five main theories of how the moon came here, but it, we didn't capture the moon. Uh, the moon was too large. It would have been moving too fast. It would have not happened. The Earth would have gone shooting off into deep space and left the solar system where the moon would have, but it just shouldn't have happened unless we had a much thicker and bigger atmosphere on the Earth at that time, and there's no proof of that. So we can't account for why the moon is in such a perfect orbit at such a perfect distance unless it was moved there. Now, um, the impact theory of Theia striking the Earth and creating the moon doesn't work for where the moon's orbit is. None of the existing theories work. There is one. It's called the Spaceship Moon Theory. That was by two Soviet scientists in the Soviet Academy of Sciences who came up with it. And the reason they came up with it is because they couldn't explain it during the normal means. And if the moon was moved there, then we have to ask who moved it there and why? And are they still there? And there seems to be some evidence they may be. We have uh, rather weird transient lunar phenomena, which has been going on for centuries. NASA documented some 500 years of it. And there's things going on constantly we cannot account for on the moon. And we don't know why. The, uh, the moon is um, a very strange place, a very strange object. Interesting. Now, uh, I know when I read in your book that there are actually a number of astronauts that have said that they've seen UFOs. Can you talk about that and perhaps describe what, what they've uh, observed? Sure. Um, there are um, astronauts that were on the Apollo missions, and they observed a craft following their ship to the moon. And they radioed this over live radio to Earth, and uh, Mission Control said, it's probably your booster rocket tailing you. And they said, no, we can see the booster rocket. We know right where that is. Whatever this is, it's following us and has been for days. And one even referred to it as an alien spaceship. Armstrong is rumored to have seen two alien spaceships sitting on the rim of the crater overlooking where they had landed on the moon. He hasn't talked about this on camera, but in private, apparently has discussed it with some people who are pretty famous in their own right and quite knowledgeable about it. Then there's the cases of others like uh, a carpenter and others who, while they were test pilots on Earth, they saw UFOs. They have seen UFOs on the space shuttle. They have seen them at the space station. So we know that UFOs exist in the Earth's atmosphere, perhaps even in our seas, certainly in orbit around the Earth, and apparently they enjoy going to the moon with us. In fact, some say we were warned off the moon. What do you mean by warned off? Well, we went there and had the Apollo emissions, and um, emissions, and we um, landed there and did a few things. Really didn't get a lot done, but then it was pretty primitive technology at the time. But we haven't been back. It's been almost 50 years, and no other human being has set foot on the moon. Not us, not the Russians, nobody. Now everyone's talking about going back. There seems to be a lot of impetus in that direction. But as yet, nobody's landed on the moon. How do we explain that? If we could land a moon with our technology of 1969, not once but repeatedly land uh, vehicles on the moon, why can't anybody do it now? We can send probes that land on Mars and everywhere else. Why haven't we gone back to the moon? Some people think we were warned away. 
Interesting. Now, um, another thing that I read in your book is you refer to ruined structures on the moon. Can you tell us more about that? Did, did any of our astronauts see these structures as far as you know? Um, supposedly, again, Neil Armstrong saw a couple of uh, UFOs sitting on a ridge. Um, photographs taken of the moon um, were uh, shown to a Sergeant Carl Wolf, who worked for NASA at the time. And he said to the technician, are you enhancing these? And he said, no, we are airbrushing them. There is ruins on the moon that we have to airbrush out. And uh, there was a problem with the machine. He had been sent over to deal with it. And he was shown photos of that prior to it. There's another case where they're interviewing a scientist at NASA at his desk in his office. On the desk, you know, just randomly scattered around it are these large photos, black and white glossies of the lunar surface. One of them shows a fort. A what square, do you mean by that? A, well, it's, what do you a mean squarish, by that? it's a squarish, large structure. It looks like it might be made of stone. And it was on an area of the moon, and it was this technician's job to airbrush it out, according to Carl Wolf, and another woman who was also uh, big at NASA. Now, several people have said this has been going on pretty steadily. There's also were seem to be ruins on the far side of the moon of what they call the... Um, uh, the uh, dome, crystal dome, there's an area they refer to as the Los Angeles Basin, which looks like city blocks in L.A. There are straight channels that shouldn't be there on the moon. They, if they're natural erosion channels, they should be winding, meandering. And what the heck was doing it, we don't know, because the moon is airless and waterless for all practical purposes. There's some frozen water in, in the depths of some of the craters, little bits, but certainly we didn't have free-flowing water on the moon. Um, there's, uh, there was what they called a, a land bridge, and two different astronomers on Earth in two different countries saw it and, and recorded it as having seen it. Now it's disappeared. That fort I was talking about a bit ago, it's disappeared. Yes. Oddly enough, that's right where we impacted the satellite on the moon, supposedly to raise dust and maybe see if there was water vapor. In the process, apparently it also wiped out the fort. <laughs> Interesting. Now, uh, since since um, NASA has has you know played around with the photos that they have, and I'm I'm using that kind of word, what's behind all of this secrecy? Do you think that that NASA feels that uh, if people uh, really learn what is going on there, that they're 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 going to panic or there's going to be mass hysteria? Why are they being secretive after all well, these years? <laughs> seems to be evidence that someone's still on the moon. There is a, a couple of craters, but one in particular, Aristarchus. It's quite large. As you look at the face of the moon from the Earth, it's sort of in the upper left-hand corner. This is known as the Blue Gem by astronomers and also by um, astronauts because of the odd flickering blue lights that have been seen there, beacons, transient beams, blue mists, hazes. And one person even managed to get a spectrograph of the blue glow, and it is identical to that of a fusion reactor's Cherenkov radiation. So is there a fusion reactor in the Aristarchus crater? We don't know. But again, this transient lunar phenomenon has been going on for a long time. Strange things happen on our dead, airless sister planet. There is apparently lightning strikes, although there's no lightning, no atmosphere. There are beacons, there are flashes, there are streaks, there are lights that move across the surface. There are the blue glows of the Aristocrats crater, which makes people call it the blue gem. That's what the uh, nickname for it is. 
And so it looks like there might be someone on the moon. And if it is, it's not us, probably. And if it's not us, then it's someone extraterrestrial. And if it is, they're hiding from us. Why would they hide from us? Why wouldn't they just come and greet us? But they don't. Another problem is they're on the moon. And any military expert will tell you that if you are in the military and you want to control a situation, you want the high ground. Well, the moon is about as high a ground as you're going to get with regard to the Earth. They can see and watch everything on the Earth, and they can easily interact with the Earth if they have to end in a hurry. So they would keep it secret because they can't control it. And something you can't control, and that may be a threat to your country, you don't want to tell your public about. Number one, there could be panic. Number two, you don't want to admit that as a government, you're powerless to protect your people. Yes, I can understand that. Um, there was a, something else that I found interesting is is you uh, had an interview or talked with uh, a, a former NASA scientist, a woman named Donna Hare, H-A-R-E. Uh, what did she have to say uh, about the moon? the moon? Because she had worked well, uh, in NASA. Yeah, she was uh, circumspect. She was on assignment to them. And uh, she basically said that she was aware that photographs had been doctored, had seen some of the originals, and had talked to certain astronauts that said that they had seen alien spacecraft on and around the moon and in orbit and on the route from the Earth to the moon. Uh, with regard to that, I actually saw some of that myself. I was watching the NASA channel one time several years ago, well, quite a few years ago, and they had a female commander on board a space shuttle in orbit around the Earth. She's floating in the cabin, and she's talking, and you can hear it, and you can see it. And all of a sudden, she's sitting there floating, looking out the window, and she says, oh, there's that alien spacecraft again, as clear as a bell, right over public TV. And then uh, Mission Control said something to her, and then suddenly everything went silent. You could still see her floating. Her mouth was still moving. She was still talking, but they had switched her to a private channel. So that, plus what the Air Force has released lately in the way of UFOs, the evidence seems to be pretty darn strong that there is somebody out there. And then you have to ask a question, uh, what are they doing out there? Why are they here? And the answer doesn't seem to be a good one. Ah, that's interesting. Now, uh, this is a little bit off the subject, but in the last number of years, we've made extraordinary technological advances. And uh, do you think they may have been aided by alien technology? Well, there's two approaches to that idea, and I'm kind of torn between them. One is that it took human uh, civilization some 5,000 years to reach the point that it did in the 1950s. And it, it managed to double its knowledge over that five to 7,000 year period. Then it took 15 years from that point forward to double it again, and half that time to double it yet again. We're now down to about a year and a half that it takes to uh, double the whole sum total of human knowledge. Now, is this just a natural exponential progression of our technology? When you reach a certain takeoff point, this is what happens? Or has someone been interfering and been pumping technology into us? And there seems to be some evidence that that might be the case because the United States suddenly took a quantum leap forward ahead of the Soviet Union at the time uh, in their technology, and we still are. No country on earth can uh, equal our military technology, and it's progressing at an incredible rate. And the, the Navy has even recently filed patents for such things as space-time engine drives and that sort of thing. 
where is all that coming from? And why are they patenting something like that? So, uh, I mean, are we inventing this ourselves? Possibly. Is it likely? I don't think so. And why isn't uh, Russia uh, at the same stage? Is is it because they're not they're not friendly with the the aliens, so to speak? What do you think about that? I mean, why are we getting all of this this uh, um, information, et cetera, et cetera, technology, and they're not? I'm sure they'd well, be interested. Absolutely. And we do have evidence um, recorded historically of other countries being interested immediately after World War II and even during the prior latter stages of it with the Foo Fighters that were noticed over um, Germany and stuff by our American bombers and fighters. But, um, yeah, the uh, it's um, <laughs> it's a complex you know problem. Some people say... We know because it was the crashed UFO in Roswell, and we got we reversed engineered, and we know that. And there have been a couple of other crashes we've done it with. Other countries haven't. Others say yes, they've they've done that too. There's others that insist that we have some kind of treaty with the aliens, and there's even some real evidence to support that. There's some film footage of an alien ship touching down at Edwards Air Force Base. Really? And uh, what yeah, year was it, that? What year was that? Oh, that was in the '60s. Uh-huh. Or, or very early 70s, and uh, it's very short. And uh, But it's definitely Edwards Air Force Base. I've been there. And what this thing was sitting in the background that looked like a big flying saucer, I think must be a big flying saucer. But uh, if we have a treaty with them, the treaty is that basically we're letting them do what they want to with our citizens, meaning us, and in return we get a certain amount of technology from them that other countries don't get. There's all sorts of conflicting ideas about how this came to be. Some say we're in collusion with them. Some say we're fighting them. Some say we reversed engineered some of their technology. And others say that because of what we've seen in UFOs, it spurred our own technology. Because once you know something's possible to do, it's much easier to do it than to not to know whether it's even possible. For instance, a warp drive. We don't know right now that that's possible. But now, what is a warp knew, drive? What is a warp drive? A warp drive is where we actually warp space and time. The most popular theory right now, the one that actually might work, is by uh, uh, Professor Alcubierre and the Alcubierre drive. And what he basically would do is a spaceship would compress space time in front of it and expand it behind. And in this way, we would literally leap from point to point to point in space, and it would be faster than light. Now, there is a limit to it. I don't believe it can go more than 10 times the speed of light using that type of a a theory. Others say that you can use wormholes and literally get across space. Simple um, demonstration is take a piece of paper, put a point on one side of it with a pen, mark it. Now, draw a line to the other side to another point. That's a long line. Unless you take that piece of paper and fold it over to where the two points meet, that's kind of what a warp drive does. It folds space that you can get to where you want to go without going through the intervening space. Interesting. (laughs) That's incredible. (laughs) Now, I want to digress a little bit in terms of alien abductions. I don't think you talk about that in your book, uh, but there, 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 you know, here and there you, you can read about people who were abducted and you never hear from them again, or they were abducted and, and they, they had some experiments done. What is this all about 
alien abductions, or is it, it is it true or not? Well, I do it in, uh, in another one of my books, Deadly UFOs and the Disappeared. Um, it does seem to be true. Every year, some 60,000 people, according to the FBI, disappear in the United States alone every year. Now, if you did, they're discounting kidnappings, murders, uh, one parent abducting the children from another parent, people who just want to disappear and start a new life, people who are kidnapped, basically. If you take all that away, there's still some 60,000, my estimate was 55, the FBI says 60, a year, every year. In Australia, it can be as high as 30,000 a year that disappear permanently. Never come. Now, in this age, with computers and records everywhere, electronics and all that, to disappear like that permanently is almost impossible to do, unless you literally have vanished from the face of the earth. So if you take all the countries, all their disappearances on an annual basis, that, that adds up to hundreds of thousands of people a year. Secondly, some people seem to be abducted, experimented on, and then returned. Sometimes they think with perhaps tracking devices inserted in them. Uh, others say it's genetic experiments. Again, we don't know. No one bothered to ever tell us what it really was for. Certainly the aliens haven't. Uh, so, but what concerns me more is the sheer number of the disappeared who are permanently forever gone. Are they being abducted? And if so, what's happening to them? Some of the cases of abductions have ended horribly with human beings being mutilated just as cattle are mutilated. I mean, severely mutilated and just dumped back onto the earth. There's a case of one man in Brazil, Sao Paulo, in the late 80s. They found his body by the reservoir. It had been drained entirely of blood, but there was no blood anywhere on the grass around him. His internal organs, some of them, had been removed through tiny little holes in his navel and in little holes under his armpits, as if the organs had been sucked out. His rectum had been excised. His eyes had been excised. Part of his jaw had been removed. And after an analysis by the Brazilian authorities, they said that he didn't show any signs of having fought or struggled against this, but apparently he was conscious the entire time because there was no evidence of any kind of drug in his system that would have doped him up or knocked him out. So they said that he died in absolute fear, terror, and abject pain of being tortured. Now, who did this? We don't know. But uh, it's not a gang-style killing, and they certainly didn't have the technology to do this, these forms of excisions. It, it just doesn't make sense. There's another case in England, same way, body found on top of a coal heap. Apparently had been... Uh, electrocuted in certain spots, and it was some kind of strange ointment that they could never discern what it was. Substance unknown, according to the British uh, police. And this goes on and on. So, people are being abducted. People are disappearing permanently. Sometimes what's happening to them is absolutely horrible. So I don't think these are our space brothers. I think this is something we have to consider very carefully. Interesting. Very, Very interesting and rather scary, I have to say. Now, I know you have a, a, a new book out that's called Shattered Reality, the Manda, M Mandela Effect. Uh, can you briefly tell us about uh, uh, th that book that's out there now that you've written? Sure. That, that book is, discusses the idea of the Mandela Effect, whether it's real or just false memories that people have. Uh, from the evidence I've managed to gather, there's actual physical hard evidence of this sort of thing, where past events seem to have changed and people remember them differently. The CIA has documents that show um, 
write-ups about certain things that happened in our history recently that they had to investigate, and they have two or three different papers that have the, that same event turning out different ways. Now, why would the CIA have that in their archives unless it actually happened more than one way? Same with um, all, all sorts of things, whether it's uh, uh, commercial companies and their logos, whether it's people's memories of how something went down. Nelson Mandela, some people remember him dying in prison, others that he became president. That's where the term Mandela effect came from. It was coined by um, Edith Broom, I think it was. And uh, about, thir- about 2013 is when it became popular. So, uh, and ever since then, people have been finding more and more of it. And it's not all false memories. Although, here's a good example. Can you tell me what color chartreuse is? It's kind of uh, yellowish, greenish, and rather okay, bright, right? Yes, you're from the same timeline as I am, like a lime green. A lot of people think it's purplish or maroon in color. And when I say a lot of people, I mean hundreds of thousands. And on top of that, when these people guess the color wrong, they don't say it's orange. They don't say it's purple. They don't say it's red. They don't say it's blue. They all say it's a purplish red color or maroon. Now, they're not only all getting it wrong. They're all getting it wrong in exactly the same way. And this seems to be true of very many Um, so-called false memories. And by the way, even psychiatrists say, yes, it's probably false memories, but even they can't explain why the false memories are all the same. And it doesn't matter what culture, what country, what race you belong to. People, when they get it wrong, all get it wrong the same way. That we can't account for. And this has nothing to do with UFOs. Apparently not, not unless they're somehow screwing with their timeline. If they can warp space and time, maybe they can do other things. Maybe UFOs are from the future. Maybe they're altering the past, and some of us remember the other timeline, and the majority of us don't. We remember the new timeline. Did you know whole islands disappear? And I'm not just talking one or two or three. I'm talking tens of them. Uh, We've had islands disappear in the Caribbean, in the South Atlantic, in the South Pacific. We had one island that disappeared about three years ago in the South Pacific, Sandy, uh, I think it was Sandy, uh, Sandy Island, Sandy Island. It was on maps for three centuries. Various captains of various ships of various countries spotted the island. Uh, They all described it in detail. Some of them even described the flora and fauna on it. Then, as of about three years ago, it disappeared. Now, mind you, you can see a picture of it. If you look up an old Google Earth map, satellite images, it shows the island, but it's pixelated out. But it's definitely there, and it's in the same shape as the maps show it. But now it's gone. And by the way, it was never there. They cruised a boat over the area right where the island was supposed to be, according to the uh, longitude and latitude of it. The ocean's 4,000 feet deep. It's not like it sunk beneath the waves a couple feet. It's gone. And it totally disappeared. Totally disappeared. Totally disappeared, but it's not new. We have legends huh? of Atlantis, legends of Lemuria, legends of right. Mew. This goes way back. Yeah. I remember reading but about when that when, when, was, when I was a, a kid. Yeah. Yeah, but now what I'm talking about now are islands have disappeared in the last couple of centuries. Uh-huh. And there's a lot of them. There are islands off the coast of Siberia that have disappeared. Uh, there's an island where Captain Cook himself walked on the island, described the flora and fauna, and even drew pictures of some of the botany, uh, uh, the botanical specimens. That island's gone. It's as if it never existed. There's one in the Caribbean. It's disappeared. We don't know where they're going. 
but they were talked about. They were on various maps worldwide, not for one or 200 years, but three, four, some date back to the 13th century. The island of uh, High Brazil, which supposedly was off the southwest coast of Ireland, has vanished. It was on maps from the 14th century onward. It's been drawn repeatedly. They even showed mountain ranges on it, uh, an inland strait or possibly a river that cut across the island from east to west. Uh, it's gone. And yet we have even have a movie. There's a sort of a sci-fi comedy movie that takes place in high Brazil. And we don't know where it went. Uh, now, that is connected to a UFO. The Rendlesham Forest in, uh, incident had a UFO land. An American sergeant touched the outside of the craft as it was in the woods, and he received what he said was a telepathic binary message. Later, when uh, ancient aliens decoded the binary, because he could remember quite clearly, they said that when translated into English, it gave the coordinates for high Brazil as well as other places, and it said the or origin of the flight of that UFO was some 8,000 years in the future. Oh my goodness! <laughs> oh, we uh, have to have you. We have to have you. Know. We're, we're running out of time, unfortunately. But we've got to have you back, Rob, because uh, I mean, you're talking about things that most people don't know about. Maybe it's better they don't know about it. I'm not sure. But uh, I, I really thank you very much for being on the air, and I, I want to tell people again. Uh, that they should get the book. It's in paperback. It's called For the Moon is Hollow and Aliens Rule the Sky. Uh, I went on I went on com and got it in a couple of days and immediately started reading it. And um, and, and uh, as I say, I'd like to have you back again, again, maybe in the next six months, if you've got especially some new information. So I, I hope that you'll stay in contact with us. And again, thank sure, you for be being Yes, thank you for being sure. And as I say, thank you for being on High Society with Paxton Quigley. And folks, I tell your friends, certainly. And folks, tell your friends they can listen to this entire broadcast on our website, paxtonquigley.com. We're a talk show, but we also listen, so feel free to get in touch. And I'd also like to thank our listeners who purchased my latest suspense novel. It's titled Just Try Me which is available on Amazon and Kindle or paperback. So listeners, please stay safe, wear a mask. And now people are saying you should be double masking. And if you have to stay home, please stay home because we can beat this virus if we work together. I'm Paxton Quickly. The opinions expressed on this CannabisRadio.com program are those of the guests and hosts and do not necessarily reflect those of the staff and management of CannabisRadio.com. Any rebroadcast, republication, or retransmission of this program without proper consent is prohibited.